Ben played the piano for us, and Brother Doug led singing. Thank you for doing that. And we had a safe trip back and forth to New York. We got to visit my old church um, where I used to pastor and um, back in the day. And it was good to see some people there. I didn't announce to anybody that I was coming. I got permission to without to make sure it was okay, make sure I wasn't a heretic there either. But, um, but we had a good time going out and uh, visited some people there. So it was, you know, like I just, I just basically did a custom, you know, for my job, getting some customers taken care of. And the girls were having so much fun. We got to go to Niagara Falls, and uh, it was like super cold. Man, it was ice cubes. It was. I love cold. Don't get me wrong, but it was cold. It was bitter cold, and the wind was coming off the river. Woo! You felt it, man. You felt it. It was bitter cold. And um, I asked how the we went. You know, saw the foliage. Drove around the mountains. Let the kids look at the beautiful scenery. The the leaves changing color and just bright colors and. The river, you know, Hudson River and all the second, just everything looking, looking so gorgeous, you know, like everything looking really nice. And um, on the way home, I said, girls, what was your favorite thing about the trip? The hotel room. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. We got to, we got to watch, we got to watch cartoons in, and I'm like, really? That's what you liked about it above anything else, the TV and you get the, I'm like, Really? Did not did you not pay attention to the nature? Did you not pay attention to the nature? Well, that was cool too. Yeah, yeah. Did you like anything else? Yeah, we got cider donuts. I'm like, yeah. Besides the food and the things, did you see anything else you liked? Did you see the beautiful water? It was cold. Yes, yes. But did you see Niagara Falls? You know, like the wonders of the world. Did you not see one of the? Yeah. So I was like, okay. Got it. They're too young to understand that. Anyways, I did said all that. To hopefully you get there. Hopefully you're there by First Timothy chapter three by now. That was literally just a test to help you get there. <clears throat> Is anyone cold? Is anybody too hot? I'm, huh? If I wear a jacket to Ed's wedding, I have to wear a jacket preaching. That's just how it just got to go from there. Anyways, 1 Timothy chapter 3. There are a couple qualifications left we're going to look at in the Bible as far as looking for a pastor. And also a checklist for young men, what you need to be and how to guide yourselves in order to be that pastor. But also a checklist for me to help me be the person I'm supposed to be. And uh, today we're looking at a very hard situation here. We're going to look at something that a lot of pastors have trouble with. And I say that because we're human. We're not perfect. And uh, I saw someone this past week on Twitter. They said a comment. If I had the choice of being a, the world's greatest pastor or being an adequate father, he said, I would prefer to be an adequate father every time. I'm like, well, that's really trustworthy, but if you're not an adequate father, you're not a trustworthy pastor. So it's kind of like you got to have both. So, and, when, and I understand what he's saying, though, because there's a lot of preachers out there that are great pulpiteers. Boy, they can get up and preach a sermon, hop on the pulpit, breathe fire. They can move multitudes to come to an altar. But if, but if they can't, you know, move nations and have their bodies, you know, you know like Billy Graham, and you're going to have all these great orators, but if they can't, but if they 
are inadequate as a father if they're failing their family, they've failed their responsibility first and foremost. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says this, this is a true saying, if a man is selected to be a, to be a bishop, no, okay, let me go back and read that again. My glasses are off. If a man desire the office, the office of a bishop, he desireth the good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given the hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine nor, nor striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. All that being said, that's not just talking about when you're behind the pulpit or when you're at church. This is the temperaments of a pastor. This is what a pastor is supposed to be. Now, it says in verse number three, it says, or verse number two, it says apt to teach. Yes, we're going to get into that probably next week about the qualifications, not being a novice, holding fast to faithful word. Those are important. That's all kind of encompassing the same idea. But when it's speaking here of being apt to teach, it's not just at the church, but also at the house. Being apt to teach. So this past week, studying for the lesson, I'm like, I'm going to polish up my teaching ability. And I'm driving up the road. We're driving up, you know, from Erie to Buffalo or from, sorry, from, from Cleveland to Erie. And we're driving on that, you know, right down the dead man's land. Nothing's going on around us. I said, girls, there are five lakes. There are five lakes that are called the Great Lakes. Do you know what, you know what the names are? I said, what is a lake? It's a large body of water. Sydney goes, ew, there's a body in the water? Lost it. So <laughs> just trying to teach the girls like basic concepts about like geography. Well, why is there a body of water? I said, well, just it's just, the, you know, and I tried explaining that sometimes words are given and has the same meanings like a body of water. And she says, are there legs in the water? And I'm like, oh. I said, honey, it's just, just like, listen, it's like the, there's a body of water. doesn't mean there's bodies in the water unless there are bodies in the water. I said, but it's like, it's just a figure of speech. It's, it's, a, it's a word they use. It's a phrase they use. Kind of like the mouth of a river. The river's got a mouth. I'm like, oh. So if you think you're apt to teach, try teaching a five-year-old. Go ahead. Do me a favor. Take Elijah aside and have a conversation and try teaching Elijah. If you think you're apt to teach, teach a kid. But that's the thing. It's like some pastors, some preachers, they're so good at speaking to adults, but they can't teach a child. Let's remember that the greatest orator, the greatest speaker, the greatest teacher that ever walked the face of this earth, Jesus Christ, sat down and taught children. And if we can't, if we can't take the doctrine we have and simplify it down to a child and get it onto a child's level, we're not apt to teach. So having said that, I see a lot of times where the parent, pastor's kids have never been taught. And they're not being taught. They're not being instructed. They're not being learned. They're being, they're being told what to do. They're being yelled at, corrected, chastened. And we'll get to that in a minute. They're trying, people are trying their hardest to discipline their children, but they're not teaching them. And I think that's, that's, a, that's a thing that it's, there's always a flaw. If you look hard enough in any pastor and how they raise their children, there's always a flaw. And that flaw is, well, the flaw is just that, that their kids are not as perfect as they want them to be. And a lot of times pastors are more hard, harder on their kids than church members are. 
But I've also been where a church member was, where the church is like super hard on the, pa- on the pastor, on the pastor's children. And it's like, your kids are complete hellions and you're upset because my kids aren't angels. And I'm like, I see, I see the vast connect. But the order of these qualifications are not, are, the order of, of when they come in, in specifics are the most important. They're not set in stone. It's not like first and foremost this. There are some qualifications that must take precedent. The husband of one wife and children in subjection with all gravity not be accused of riot or unruly is not to be overlooked in hopes that one day the pastor will one day get it together. There has to be a, you can't say, well, one day he might be this way. If he's not in that direction now, he's not going to be the direction when he gets the position, right? So go to Titus chapter number one. Titus chapter number one. He's not going to get there if he's in that direction. Now, I believe that it's, that it's good to have children to be a pastor, okay? I believe it's necessary to be a husband of one wife to be a pastor. I believe it's necessary. Because when you're trying to deal with ladies, you have no experience dealing with ladies, you got a problem. You're going to have, with ladies in the church, you need to have experience, and you need to have, you know, and also the temptation arises, the temptation is there. It's good for a pastor to be married. It's best for a pastor to be married. It's necessary for a pastor to be married. But I want to say this, too. It's not necessarily the guiding principle that a pastor has children. The guiding principle is not that you have children. It's how you're raising the children. It's how you're dealing with the children. That is the qualification. Because it fits the narrative of the passage, okay? So look at Titus chapter number 1. It says in verse number 6, If any be blameless, the, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, the Faithful children is necessary, and they're not to be accused of riot unruly. Now, if a kid, if a pastor does not have children, it doesn't mean he's not, doesn't mean he's disqualified or unqualified. It means that that particular case does not apply to him because he doesn't have children. But if he has children, they must be raised faithful, and they have to not be accused of riot and unruly. That's common sense. That's common taking the passage and let the passage dictate for itself, okay? Says in verse number seven, for a bishop must be blameless. So again, it, it talks about in verse number six, there's a disconnect from verse number six to verse number seven. Verse number six basically says, you've got to be the husband of one wife and you got to have good kids, right? Faithful children, not accused of right unruly. Then he goes back and emphasizes or re-explains verse number seven through. He starts saying, and this is how we're showing it. If a, per, if a pastor's home is not right, his church will not be right. If the pastor's relationship with his wife is not right, if that man's relationship with his wife is not right and they're not right with his children and they're not being raised properly, what makes you think that the influence of husband and wife, the wife and however many kids he has is going to be able to lead, guide, and direct a church full of people who have independent, independent free will, right? Individual free will. How can I help them and manage them and help structure them to walk the Christian life and me being accountable to God and being responsible for God for making sure that little Ed makes sure he's growing in the Lord? If I have no children of my own, if I have no wife of my own, I don't have the, the tools to help guide that. If I can't even get my family right, if my wife is, is you know, uh, is, you know, 
out in the world, just kind of doing whatever. I don't have, she's not in subjection, and I don't have, my relationship with my wife is not right, and she's not willing to submit herself to my authority. What makes you think that, hey, Aaron's going to submit himself to my authority? If Aaron, if my relationship with my wife isn't right, and I can't figure out how to control my anger, my, my passive-aggressive attitude that's, I guess, is a wimpy thing, but if I can't, if I can't come out and, and address Aaron and his error or Sarah and her error, and I can't uh, deal with that and yet not destroy a relationship while correcting a church member, what makes you think that it's because it's my family life is not right? I know that there's, there's a way to address my wife to that she will listen. I know there's a way. I'm learning a lot lately. That there's a way to address my wife. That's not always the best. She's not going to receive it. There's going to be sometimes you mess up. But if my wife is not respecting me, what makes you think the church? If a man's wife is not respecting him, what makes you think that the church will respect him? They won't. And I think this is what the Bible is trying to gear at about the having the right relationship with the wife, but also with the children. Okay, the pastor must be blameless. He cannot be blameless if he has having marriage problems. He cannot be considered blameless if his children are accused of riot or unruly. What is riot? Rioting means unrestraint, being unrestrained. Okay, unruly, just disorderly. Okay. Now, there's different things here. Look at Titus chapter number, um, Titus number one verse six. Having faithful children, not accused of right or unruly. Now, here's a difference. There's a lot of times, like I said before, that there's pressure on the pastor's kids that's over the top. But it doesn't mean they're supposed to get a free pass either. Accusations rendered is different than accusations received. First Timothy chapter 5. You know, an, elder, um, an accusation against the elder received not, right? It's up before two or three witnesses, right? You don't just take the accusation against the elder just lightly you don't just take it oh yeah well, oh, he said it it's got to be true let's let's burn a witch let's let's first find out and let's give the guy an opportunity let's weigh things out scripturally with with prayer and with and with understanding and see if this guy is in error the same thing will be done with you if you just slightly accuse the pastor's kids of right and unruly and another thing is the kids are going to make mistakes just because the kid does one thing stupid doesn't mean that you're on that the best guy is unqualified. This this candidate or this is somehow unqualified because the kid made one mistake, one stupid thing like drawing on the wall or something. Okay, so um, it doesn't mean so kids will be kids, and you have to understand that kids will be kids. But kid, pastors' kids they reveal the pattern of the house, and this is the catch: pastors' children reveal the pattern of the house. Do they take the things of God seriously? Not saying they have to be the star student in Sunday school and know every single memory verse, every single time, word perfect in parentheses and italics. Not saying that. What I am saying is they reveal the pattern of the house. If the child has no respect for the things of God, there's a disconnect. There's a problem. Okay, I grew up, I, there's this one church I was going to when I was a teenager in the pastor's son Stayed home from church because he had mono, and he stayed home, played video games the entire time. And then one of the teenagers from the church went over and sat with him to encourage him, and they played video games together. 
And it was just like there was a disconnect. The past, one, the other pastor's son sat back the entire time in drawing golf drawings. He was, you know, doing, he was pretty good at drawings. And he sat the entire time doing golf drawings when the preaching was going on. And you couldn't ask him what the sermon was about because he was so enamored by drawing his golf drawings. He was in church because he had to be. He sat in the back row, slumped in his chair, didn't pay attention to anything that was being said or done. And he was su- there was such a disconnect between what, how the pastor was preaching and the, and the life they were living. There was, a vi- there was a vast disconnect. It's one of the things that my parents left the church over. The pastor's kids will reveal the pattern, the pattern of the house. Do the kids run the show? Do the kids ever get disciplined? Those are good questions. We were, we were at a place the other day, and this kid was just, like, fussing. No, I don't want to. Oh, here's some candy. Here's some candy. The kid was six or seven. I said, I got something better for him. Don't give him a sugar stick. Give him a spanking stick. Light that kid's rear up. Spank that kid. And i just like, really? And the kid's like, really? And the, and the grandfather was just like, and he walked away. And I was like, oh, this is even worse. That's the problem. The, the one in authority walked away and didn't deal with the kid. And I'm sitting there, and I was loading up my car, and I looked at the guy. I said, seriously? Really? I said, you're an Amish country. I'm telling you right now, if you don't want to spank your kid, ask anyone around. They'll be glad to spank your kid for you. They whoop horses. Take him to the woodshed and spank him. The guy's like, mind your own. I said, I am minding my own. You are making your problem my business because it's affecting me. Take care of your kid. Put him in the car. Whoop him. But stop, stop. I can't deal with it. Stop. And the Amish guy over here is laughing. He's like, yeah, that's what I'm saying right there. I'll take care of that problem right now. Huh? But it's like I'm not saying that he – I'm, but I'm saying that's the thing with, with kids and church and pastor's kids. I'm not saying my kids are perfect. They get disciplined, and they're learning, and they're growing, and they're getting better. And that's the good thing that necessary, that's, that's necessary of that. But the office of the pastor's children does not exist. There's no qualification to be a pastor's child except to be born. But the kids directly influence your or the pastor's responsibility and the pastor's integrity, the pastor's um, trustworthiness of being a parent. The same, suge- the same subjection that the pastor has to rule his home is the same subjection that the Lord rules his church. Go to Hebrews chapter number 2. If you can look at your pastor, oh, he's, he's just trying. Okay, he's trying. Great. But you know what? I'd also know that I can't take and berate my child, control my child, put them in straight jackets and you know, whoop them and, and have no brain of their own because that's not what God does with us. Okay? The child must have their own will. We must teach that child to take their will and to surrender it to Christ. That's what the pattern of having children is helpful. So when you come across church members like Gabriel and Daniel, you can teach them, hey, you're supposed to love one another. You're supposed to, make your, you're supposed to submit yourselves unto the authority. That's, that's, that's the thing that we're trying to explain to church members, the authority of that of being Christ, right? We're trying, to take that, we're trying to take that picture model and putting it towards the things of God. How can we have that if the pastor, who is p- 
picturing in his first, the first and foremost preaching the messages that will be applied to his life first. If he's not able to do that towards his children, there's a disconnect, okay? Hebrews chapter number 2, verse number 8. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we not but yet but now we see not yet all things put under him. He's given the authority, but not all things are put underneath him, under that authority. And this is a great picture of a pastor with his family and that of the authority of Christ in the church. Aren't you glad that God takes us to the woodshed when we need it? We're chastened because God loves us. And the same thing with a pastor. But understand too, aren't you glad that God doesn't break your will again without a purpose? He helps us. Our will has to be surrendered to him. Right? God sent the hornets to the Canaanites. He did he he wanted to drive them out and they want to go. He doesn't make us go against our will, but he sure makes us willing to go. Okay? And that's that's the thing that the pastor does. He the, a, a good father will do that with his children. The Bible says to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, right? That's what a father is supposed to do. But before that, in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, provoke not your children, what? Unto wrath. Now, wrath doesn't mean getting angry. In that passage, wrath is talking about under the judgment, under the wrath of God. Don't provoke your children to not receive Christ. But opposite of that, right? Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Don't provoke them to be children of wrath. Don't push them to be children of wrath. Push them to be under the authority of Christ. Okay? So, pastors will pastors sometimes will fail to discipline. And, and it's just, by the way, the same subjection is the same subject, subjection that wives have to submit themselves to their husband by. This is going to be a great start, start point for a newly married couple. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says husband, wives are supposed to be in subjection to their own husbands. Right? They're supposed to be subjected to them. And that's the same subjection that children have to learn is to put themselves in subjection to their parents. But you find out, they, you know, young age doesn't really happen that much. I mean, it's there. Don't get me wrong. It's there. But it's not as nearly prevalent as when they hit 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 15 and rebellion is just like full force but newsflash if you're not correcting the kid at one and a half six months and you're not you're not getting it then you will not get it when they're six or seven you just won't and if you don't have it by the time they're three you're not going to get it by the time they're 12 i don't care how good how many times you watch super nanny it doesn't matter if you don't have dr phil memorized but if you don't have it it doesn't matter how much tv show you watch You've got to have that under subjection and then continually bring them into subjection. Even as we, when we get saved, we need to start obeying the word of God and implementing that subjection to Christ's authority. Because when you get to the place when you're older in life, you don't want to subject it. What is it one of the first things that people fight God about besides church attendance? Bible reading, prayer, and tithing. Well, I prayed last year. I'm not really a church-going person. Well, really? I don't believe I have to go to church in order to worship God. Really? You're right. You don't have to go to church to worship God, but you should go to church to worship God. Well, I don't have to. That tells me a person that's rebellious. Well, I can worship God right here in my home, and you should. 
but you should also worship with the saints. That's common sense, right? And I'm preaching to the choir in Sunday school. I understand that. But when we look, when we look at even towards giving, faithfulness towards giving, faithfulness towards attendance, Bible reading, prayer. If a person's not going to church to worship God, they're also not reading their Bible and praying because the Bible clearly tells us not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So you're not reading the Bible. You can't go to the word of God and expect to be challenged and chastened and corrected by other believers to keep on living that right life. And that's why church attendance is so necessary. We know this, but the parent that refuse the pastor that refuses to discipline the man who refuses to discipline his child also will not discipline or correct the church. Okay. Pastors who fail to discipline their children will also fail to, dis to disciple the believer. Think of Levi. Only reason why Samuel had a fighting chance is because his mother weaned him. By the way, homeschool is still God's plan. The parent. Parents who berate their children and wife, for that matter, will berate their members. They just will. They'll berate them. They'll berate them. Forcing on, uh, focusing on the number of children is an error in, in, in hermeneutics. It's also not about how many they have birth, but it's also about how the children are raised correctly. It's not about how many children you have in the home. It's about raising your children correctly. Let's understand this quickly while we have a couple minutes left. Number one is running away teens is different than having send away teens. If your kid runs away from your house, that child has wished to no longer live in your roof. And it's heartbreaking. And it's sickening. It's sad. It's heartbreaking. But the difference between runaway teens and send-away teens. If, if a pastor, if a man sends his child away, uh, boot camp sends them away, uh, boarding school sends them away to reform school, sends them away to grandparents' house, and forfeits their right to be raising their child, and they send them away to another proxy, they have failed in raising children. If we cannot correct our children and deal accordingly, Gabriel, I'm sorry, you're just not being good. I need to send you to Pastor Anderson's church to straighten you out. Oh, I, I need to send you over to Joe Osteen's to have a better outlook at life. I, you know, whatever it is, the runaway teens is different than sendaway teens. A pastor who fails to raise their children a man who refused, who, who's failed to raise his children, the nurture and admin of the Lord, will fail in properly guiding and loving and executing righteousness within a church. I can kick people out of the church all day long, but it's not the purpose of kicking people out. The purpose is, re is, is removing fellowship to bring them back in. That's the, that's the purpose of, of church discipline. Um, the parent is responsible for the child until they're fully grown and out of the house, the parent is still responsible. And I say this to the guys all the time. And as long as you're living under your parents' roof, they're still your authority. They are. You don't like how the authority is going with it? Sit down and figure out a way to work around it. To work with them to solve a solution. That's the truth. But the parent is responsible for the child. And, and the child is responsible for obeying the leadership of the home. Children, obey your parents and Lord, for this is right. Honor their father and their mother. So when we come to this place, we understand, we, we have to understand that the 
responsibility for having a pastor, having children, is not how many they can procreate. It's not a contest. I know there's Amish that literally take this, you know, they joke around it. Yeah, we take that Bible verse seriously when it says, be fruitful, multiply. <laughs> and they joke about that. I mean, Pastor Boyle jokes about it sometimes, but it's like he's got seven kids. They would have had more if things didn't, you know, things didn't happen. But it's not about having a million kids. You can have a million kids and none of them turn out right. You can have a million kids and one turns out wrong. It doesn't mean you're not, a, just because a kid grows up and leaves the house and leaves the faith doesn't mean that they're not that they you weren't they weren't raised right let's let's understand that first and foremost but it's dealing within the structure of the house if a man desires the office of a bishop desires to be a pastor and his family life is all is all skewed it's messed up that person may have everything going for them but if he cannot manage his own house the one circle of influence that he is most responsible for, what makes you think he's going to be fine, you know, able to take care of the house of God? Go back to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And the Bible wraps it up with this question. It kind of addresses it in verse number 5. There is an understanding that improper parenting will bring about improper pastoring. Okay, there's an understanding of that. Look at verse 5. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? If a pastor's home is not right, what makes you think he's going to fix the church? If his wife and his children will not follow his faith, will not follow his example, will not follow his leadership, what makes you think the church will? Okay, honey, we got to cut spending. We're spending too much. Okay, charge it. What makes you think that that's going to, well, bless God, I'm taking charge of the finances. I'm in control of the finances, bless God. Where, where, how did the disconnect come? Okay. I've been, I've been asking this since I got here. I don't want control of the finances. I don't want to be the guy who has to, no, I, I have, you know, my name's on the checking account. My name's on the bills. And I, I don't want to be the guy who pays the bills. I don't want to be the guy who's got to know what money comes in. I don't want to handle the money. I want, the, I want, to, I want that kind of handed off. When I first came, we had a guy. And it was like that. And then we, and was, that guy was removed because he never was faithful. The guy was never here. And Ed and I were working through this thing. And Ed's like, okay, I'll do the books, but you gotta, you got to pay the bills. I'm like, oh, okay. I don't want to know who gives. Just tell me what we have in the bank. I'll make sure the money's been paid. And it's been working great. Thankfully, and, you know, Deborah helped out with that for a while, and it's been great. It's been great. And now Sarah's helping out. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful I don't have to count the money. I'm thankful I've, I've only had to count the money three times in the past three years. I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that, I, you know, that, hey, we got money being paid every week. It's countable. There it is. Anybody, who, you know, those who have access can see what I've got, see what's being spent out. We're putting out a spreadsheet of, of you know, of cost and what money's going towards. And you can, I mean, I'm, I'm not spending money on anything I don't have to spend money on. I just, I'm very, very, like, I don't, unless it's a bill, I don't spend money on it. I just don't. I don't see it's important spending. But if a guy can't take care of the finances of his own house, what makes you think the guy's in debt, hawking off, ju you know, jewelry and, and you know, donating plasma in order to get money to scrape by? What makes you think he's going to 
what makes you think he's going to, I was at Niagara Falls, and this guy was at the, in the parking lot, and I had $5 in my pocket. And I never carry cash. I just never carry cash, unless I'm in Amish country. It's usually just a check. And the guy's there, oh, I need a check. Can you help me? I need some bus there. And you whine like that. I said, no, I'm not helping you nothing. You whine. I don't, I'm, you're whining. I'm not helping you. I can't help a whiner. And this other guy's up there. He's like, hey, man, oh, man, I'm just really short. I, I, can, can you give me a couple of dollars to bus there? I mean, I understand that Niagara Falls is literally three blocks away from the casino. Literally. And I'm like, yeah, right, okay. And he's like, you know what? I said, I never do this. I said, okay, man, here's $5. Get the bus, go uptown. Get out of here, go. I got you, $5. Let it get you where you're going to go. He goes, thank you, man. This is, this is, thank, thank, thank you so much. I said, I, no, I'm not stupid. You're going to find the nearest, the nearest, you know, bottle, or you're going to find the nearest score, um, or the nearest slot machine. I'm not stupid, okay? But I'm hoping that, I'm really hoping that you're honestly down on your luck, that you just need to, Oh, I need I get. I said, okay, cool. He turned and walked away. And I'm like, maybe he's literally just needs money for the bus. I went down the falls. Same guy up top that was one. He's got mayonnaise in his face and ketchup and mayonnaise on his face. From, he just got a cheeseburger from somebody. I'm fine food. I'm hungry. I said, dude, get out of my face. Leave me alone. I'm not being rude to the guy. But I'm like, just in my mind, I'm like, just go away. No, I don't care. I might have any cash on me. I don't have any more. I gave it to the other guy at the road. I don't have any more money. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, thank you, thank you, sir. Went up back to the top, and guess who's standing right where he was before? Bus fare guy. And I'm like, really, dude? And it made me mad because the Holy Spirit was like, stop giving people your money. And I'm like, okay, I got that. But it is, you know, joking about things like that, but it's like if a person can't manage the affairs of his house, he can't affair. He can't. Uh, he can't control the finances of his house, of the, the, the affairs of the church. Got a church member who's disgruntled. Really? What's wrong with them? Well, they're just upset. Well, what are they doing? They're sitting in a corner, soaking, holding their breath. How do you handle that? Well, I got a. I got a four or five year old that does that sometimes. Let them hold their breath. They'll pass out. They'll start breathing again normally. Let them have. Let them have their space. Let them have their time. As long as they're not acting out, they want to hold their breath, what's going to hurt? Nobody. Now, that's not properly how they handle the situation. When they pass out, we'll understand it, okay? I can get them when they wake up, and we'll have a start from the get-go. But I'm going to give them time to figure things out. I'm not going to go over there always being bad. Boom! Bad church member. Get out of my church. First time off. Okay? Someone gets mad, and they start being disrespectful to me. I'm not going to get up. The first thing I do is kick them out of my church. Okay, first and foremost, I'm going to wait till they calm down, wait for them to get to figure it out, wait for them to control themselves, give enough time. Then I'm going to say, you know what, this is probably not the best way to handle the situation. But when my kids are not, when my kids are bad, my first response isn't to light them up. Now, if they do something publicly, oh, they know it. My kids do something publicly to, 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 to act out and do something stupid publicly, they know they're going to get treated with correction publicly. They know that. They just know it, okay? But half the time, I'm just giving friendly nonverbals. And they, they usually stop by then. I'm like, but if I had to say, hey, Abigail, yeah, yes, okay, Abigail, stop doing that. Okay. And if it's doing something in the church member's life, and the pastor just kind of hits on it in a preaching, they're like, oh, yeah, I fixed that in my life. 
But if the kid, if a person is so far gone in the Christian life that they're not paying attention to the reading of the Word of God, they're not attending, they're not being paying attention to the fellowship with one another, they're not paying attention to anything that's being said or done. Then you gotta get two or three witnesses. Hey, you need to cut it out. Like, what's going on with you? Like, really? And the pastor called me out. No, the pastor didn't call you out. He preached from the pulpit. The, the word of God should have ministered to your heart, witness to the congregation, and then the pastor deals with you one-on-one. I've never had one of my kids run away from my house because I spanked them. When I spank the children, it's they know, oh, I've messed up this bad. By the way, I never spank my kids in anger. I'm not patting myself on the back. I just made a principle before this that I would never spank my kids in anger. I just, this, I, it, it defeats the purpose. Now they're not understanding correction, understanding rage. By the way, I've made it a point as a pastor never to discipline someone from the church, never to kick someone out of the church when I'm angry. I've always done it when I've had time to pray about it when I've had time to consider the facts, to weigh the options, to strip the scriptures, to fast and pray before I do it, to make sure my heart is right. And I'm not, again, I'm saying that because there's been people in New York that I kicked out. And one of the guys I was talking to this past week, he was like, well, he was like one of my right-hand guys. He was like, Pastor, I've never seen church discipline that way before or since. Everything was literally by the book. You went down a checklist, and it was the right attitude, the right spirit. You involved other people to help out. It wasn't your personal vendetta. It was taught from Scripture. Everybody in the church understood it, and the church disciplined that person. It wasn't you. The church disciplined that person. I said, yeah. And then when that guy repented and got right and came and asked the church for forgiveness and asked the Lord for forgiveness, the church accepted him back in. Well, why is that? It's because it was done biblically. But if our response, if our response, if the pastor cannot control his family, he won't control the church. He won't take oversight of the church, not by constraint, but willingly. He will not be an effective leader if his family is in ruins, if his family life is out of order. Does that mean that my wife and I never have squabbles? Are you crazy? Are you insane? You try having a wife. No, it's kidding. But um, no, it's like I mess up all the time. There's things I messed up on. There's things I do. And you know what? It, it's one of those things where you just are they going in that direction? In the is is it? You can't by proxy send your kid or send your wife away. I, I, there's a pastor I know. He sent his wife away for a month and a half back to her parents' house. He lived away from his wife for six weeks because they had a fight. It was a knockdown, like a bad fight. Not fist fights, but it was a bad fight. And they had to go through counseling. At that point, you're kind of going to the deacons and saying, hey, uh, to leaders of the church and saying, can I have some time away? And if I can't get this fixed, I need to step aside. I need, I need time to get my family fixed. I need, I need time away personally. And the church is like, yeah, whatever, okay, okay, six weeks, come back. If, if, if a church cannot allow the pastor to step aside for a couple weeks to get the family right, that church doesn't trust the pastor anyway. That's the truth. 
the qualification of having the family, of having, the, having a wife, husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of riot unruly is because they're able to identify, detect, and guard against, and warn, and correct when their family does go wrong. He's not in panic. He's not in panic over, oh, no, what do I do? No, they understand fully what they're doing. They understand fully what's going on, and they're fixing it. So the pastoral qualifications of having children is not by how many you can mass produce, but it's how many you can influence and correct. So those are, those are pastoral qualifications from the Bible. And we got one more we'll get to next week. But let's go ahead and ask God's blessing on our time of fellowship. And uh, Brother Ed, if you would lead us in prayer.